The title of my message today is A High Calling for Every Woman. A High Calling for Every Woman. Open up your Bible to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We've been there before recently. But this time, uh, taking a look at what Paul has to say to Timothy about women. And you know, the, the colors that you've been given today... Uh, are in fact colors that were given for a reason. We'll speak about those reasons in, in just a, a moment here. Well, we'll start actually with the white colored roses or the cream colored roses. Sometimes I'm a little color bl- blind. Are those white or cream? They're white? They're cream? We'll go with both. If you're holding a white or a cream colored rose... Uh, this is in- indicative of the fact that you're a grandmother or perhaps a, a, a senior. White is an interesting color. It, uh, it can symbolize a great many things, including faith, goodness, purity, perfection, maturity. White also indicates the wisdom that comes with age and the the, the creaminess, I think, to the color of these roses. They, they kind of have a glow to them, really. It was my favorite color um, of these three. And that glow is also indicative of the light that each of you shed toward others through your many years of wisdom. First, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, as a matter of fact, right next to where you were in 1 Timothy 5. In 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, Paul speaks about a grandma in the New Testament. One of the very few times it's explicitly mentioned that this, in fact, is a grandmother. And this is what he says about this grandmother in verse 3 of chapter 1 in 2 Timothy. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience. Uh, Excuse me, I'm in the wrong spot. No, I'm in the right spot. I'm sorry. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, Timothy, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded, I am convinced, is in you also. Again, this is one of the only times in the New Testament where it's definitively noted that this is, in fact, a grandmother that's being spoken of. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, whom Paul has implicitly high praise for. For he indicates there in verse 3 that he's calling to remembrance... He's wanting to be filled with joy and and to be called to his own remembrance that genuine faith that Timothy has been brought up in. The deep and abiding faith, teaching, that Timothy has been raised up with. Faith and teaching which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded, I'm convinced, that that same faith is in you, Timothy. Implied in that statement is Paul's incredibly high praise for Lois and for Eunice, two women whom he points out 
more than any others who have had an incredible imprint on the life of young Timothy, who by this time is a pastor elder in the church at Ephesus. Paul was so struck by, not by uh, uh, some man's teaching in Timothy's life, not by his father, notice, not by his grandfather, take note, but by his mother and grandmother. What did they teach him? What did they raise him up in, we might wonder? What did he learn from them that was so significant to Paul? Turn over to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, Paul indicates again what Timothy had learned. Look at verse 14. He says in 2 Timothy 3.14, But you, Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul then indicates to us in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, what it is that Lois and Eunice gave to Timothy. They didn't just give him love, which of course they did. They didn't just raise him up to be a nice young boy, which of course they did. They didn't just shower him with, with gifts and with good things, which of course any mom and grandma would. But Paul says specifically... In chapter 3, verse 14, that from childhood, Timothy was taught something. That from childhood, his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, took time to teach him something. And what was that? The Holy Scriptures. Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells him, of those teachings of your deliberations in God's Word, of, of your training that came from your mom and grandma. Paul says in verse 14, continue in those things which you've learned. You've been assured of these things. Knowing from whom you've learned them. He's saying there, remember, remember the character. Remember the kind of individuals from whom you learned this. It was your mother and grandmother. Remember the kind of women they are. Remember the kind of women that they were as they brought you up as a young child. And pay them honor for training you in God's Word. You know, so often in Scripture, uh, there's, there's this, uh, emphasis, there's this uh, focus on the prohibition in uh, 1 Timothy, where Timothy uh, prohibits a, a woman from teaching men in a church setting. And there's much ado that's always made about this prohibition. And people rise up and, and oftentimes don't like that prohibition and think that it's, that it's antiquated, that it, that it shouldn't apply for today. I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of, of that prohibition and whether or not it should be, uh, I, as I believe, maintained for today or as others believe, done away with. The point is this. Who really trained Timothy? who really fed Timothy, who really made Timothy the man that he was, the pastor that he was, the elder that he was, his mother and grandmother, Paul writes. He says it doesn't matter who's teaching from a pulpit. It doesn't matter who's standing in the front. What matters is who's sitting at the dining room table and who's opening up the scriptures and teaching their children God's word. Amen? Grandma. Grandmothers, number one on your outline, T. 
teach the word of God to the next generation. Your role is to teach them. Your role is to teach them. To teach your children and grandchildren the word of God in the spirit of Lois, in the spirit of Eunice. Secondly, write this down. Let your seasoned faith overflow with good works to all. Write the words down, to all. Let your seasoned faith overflow with good works to all. Now turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I I had you flip there a little too fast. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. As you're turning there, you're you're looking now at a little uh, little bit of regulation that Paul is going to uh, speak about in the New Testament. He's... We, we know very well of government regulation. We know when, a, when the government gets involved and they start creating laws and rules and you, you have to be this age and this gender and this, this and that and the other and you've got to fill out a long application to, to qualify for whatever it might be. Paul is writing church regulations in 1 Timothy 5 for the local church in Ephesus. Principles which are very much applicable for all churches. Um, but let's take a look at what he had to say to Timothy as Timothy was pastor elder of the church in Ephesus. This is the regulation that Paul gave him for older women in particular, generally speaking, grandmothers and great grandmothers, widows, in fact, here in verse 9. He says this, verse 9 of chapter 5 Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she's been the wife of one man well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now, I want to take just a moment in this passage to to look at a a couple things. First, we want to define what does it mean to be taken into the number in verse 9. Do you see that phrase, taken into the number? There is, this is a kind of ordering, if you will, of widows, of older women in the church in Ephesus for the purpose of receiving monetary help from the church. The first century church in particular had very, and I emphasize very, limited resources. She was not a wealthy church, much like uh, much of Western American evangelicalism is much more, by and large, a very wealthy, wealthier tradition. Uh, we, are, we are not rich here at Coast Bible Church, but we would not be compared in terms of our, our, our per capita wealth with the first century churches of Asia Minor. Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, was probably more affluent than most. But even still, they would have been a church with very little means with very little ability to take care of those within their ranks. And so there needed to be significant regulation on what would happen with the funds that were allocated for benevolence because there would only be a limited amount. There would only be a small amount. What should we do with those funds? This is a kind of ordering of widows for the purpose of receiving monetary support. It was imperative that the church develop this system of regulation that would help guide them to determine who was most worthy, uh, most in need of support. Last week we spoke of a natural ordering of the elders. 
There are elders who receive honor. There are elders who lead well, who receive double honor. And then there are elders who labor in word and doctrine. Maybe pastor elders who, uh, Paul says, are worthy of even a special honor. And here we have an, another ordering. Interestingly enough, that ordering of elders is in chapter 5, verse 17. We're just looking at a few verses prior. In chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, where he's ordering widows, so to speak, in terms of who is most worthy of this help. And he gives a few regulations. Number one, at least 60 years old. All right? So we're doing better than Social Security so far. Uh, Oh, come on now. That was funny, right? We're doing a little better than Social Security in the church, right? Okay, there we go. That was a good laugh, Scott. I appreciate that. Uh, what, What is the age of Social Security now? 67? It keeps rising, doesn't it? Get in quick. Get in quick. At least 60, Paul writes, at least 60 to receive monetary support. That is to say, she must not be capable anymore of of supporting herself. He's putting an age restriction on it because other younger women are more able to or apt to work. They, They have the capacity to work. And so he puts an age limit and says... About 60 or so, you know, she needs to be older than 60 because she must be of, of non, more of a non-working age. Number two, he writes, not unless she's been the wife of one man. Now that might sound a little bit restrictive in the English text. It's not to, meant to be nearly as restrictive in the Greek. In fact, I take issue with the New King James translation here. I think it's a bad translation of this phrase in Greek. So I would actually, and you'll notice in your Bibles, the words and, not, unless are in italics in some of your Bibles, depending on what version you have. And, not, unless in verse 9 are in italics in the New King James. Reason is, every word you find in italics are not in the original Greek. They're editorial comments put in by the translator to indicate what he or she thinks the author is driving at. But what really, in the Greek text, what it really says is a one-woman kind of man. A one, excuse me, a one-man kind of woman. I'm thinking of uh, the other regulation of elders. Uh, it, what it really says in Greek there, uh, literally translated, is that she be a one-man kind of woman. A one-man kind of woman. That is to say that she would not be an unfaithful woman a promiscuous woman, or even on rare occasions, a polygamous woman, which was on very rare occasions in the first century. Paul says there quite, quite plainly, she is not to be an unfaithful woman, not to be a promiscuous woman, not to be a woman who has more than one husband. She is to be a one uh, man kind of woman. That is not to suggest that she must have been married, but that if she is married, that she be a one-man kind of woman. But now this last part is where I especially want to zero in, and I've highlighted it there on the outline, verse 10. This is what we really want to zero in on about these widows, these grandmothers, so to speak. That they be well reported for good works if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she's diligently followed every good work. Five elements there. Brought up children. That is to say, brought them up well. If she's raised children, 
that's going to elevate her in, in terms of, raise them well, that's going to elevate her in terms of how the church's funds would be distributed later. If she's lodged strangers, that is, those she does not know. If she's washed saints' feet, that is, those within the body. If she's relieved the afflicted, that is to say, those who are needy. And then Paul sums it up saying that she, be, that she diligently follow each of these good works. What's interesting about these first four elements is that each four of them come from different parts of society. Different parts of society. The first, Paul says, what did she do in the home? What did she do in the home? Did she raise up her children well? It matters what you do in the home. It matters what happens in those four walls. Secondly, did she lodge strangers? Paul says, what did she do out there, out in the community? Did she help those who were outside of her own immediate family, who were outside of the church, who were in fact strangers to her? Paul says, first, how did she do at home? Second, how did she do in the community? Did she lodge strangers? Did she show hospitality? Third, Paul says, did she wash saints' feet? That is to say, what did she do with the people in the community of of faith? What did she do with the brothers and sisters within these four walls? Was she kind and compassionate? Was she gracious? Did she wash their feet? That is to say, did she, did physically the washing of feet, which also symbolically um, displayed her humility and her desire to bless others? Her home, her community, her church, and finally, did she relieve the afflicted? Did she look for those who were needy? who were hurting, who were downcast and broken? And did she bring them relief? Her home, her community, her church, all who are needy. Paul says, we want to help as a church of limited resources as they grow older. We want to help those widows who have lived so well for the cause of Christ. It's an incredible uh, aspiration to you who are grandmothers and seniors today, great-grandmothers, to look at those four elements, your home, your community, your church, and the needy, and to ask yourself, where can I improve? Where can I as a woman, a woman uh, who is following the Lord but who wants to continue to improve, which of these four that I... Maybe that the Lord can raise me up even higher, become a woman of even greater grace and love. Paul said these elements are especially fitting uh, for a woman of the Lord and especially fitting for a church to in her last days, if her family's not able to help, if she's uh, beyond the ability to take care of herself, for a church to lift up these women in honor who do these things. And say, we will always, always take care of you. One of the things I think I'm most proud of at Coast is our benevolent fund. A fund that we uh, order and structure so that it would go to those who need it most here in the family first. And I can say unequivocally, and I know the elders also agree, that if there are ever any widows um, who need help, Uh, we would be so quick as a church to help you in need. So you need not fear. This church is behind you, and as long as God gives us ability, uh, we want to make sure we take care of everyone who is here. Third, 
on the mention of grandmothers, third and finally. Grandma, we're looking for you to intentionally, intentionally come alongside younger women and share your wisdom. Intentionally come alongside younger women and share your wisdom. Turn down two books to Titus. Just past 2 Timothy, you come to the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 2, Paul has some final words for the older women of the church. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He writes, But as for you, he's speaking to all now, speak the, tru- uh, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. Verse 3, That the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers, teachers, of good things, Paul wants women to teach, says it right there, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of the Lord may not be blasphemed. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. So thirdly, grandmothers and seniors in particular, that you would intentionally come alongside younger women and share your wisdom. That's what Paul says in Titus 2. Titus Chapter 2. He says, Older women, come alongside and admonish these younger women. The Greek word admonish there is sophronizo. It means to train, to teach, to advise. To advise them to do what? To think sensibly, with wisdom, to be composed. It's an action item, sophronizo is. It's the only time that verb, by the way, is used in the New Testament. Used particularly of older women, saying, Teach. Train, advise, admonish the younger women. And younger women, that also implies that you're willing to hear it. I know sometimes um, a mom or a young woman in the church uh, doesn't want correction. Sometimes uh, she doesn't want to be given some advice. But I think that whether we're a young mom or a young dad or a young woman or a young man, you know, we have a lot to learn from those who have gone down the road a bit further. And a little humility on the younger generation's part will go a long way as the older generation shares its wisdom in raising children, in raising families, in living life. Grandmothers, teach the Word of God to the next generation. Let your seasoned faith overflow with good works to all in your home, in the community, in the church, to the afflicted. And thirdly, intentionally come alongside younger women and share your wisdom. But we have another colored rose, the purple roses. Um, those of you who are mothers out there have a purple rose in your hand. You might be wondering, what does this purple color represent? And I, I think it's purple, but some might say pink. Who sa- I- am I getting purple right? I think it's purple. My wife thinks I'm colorblind sometimes, but uh, I'll try. I think it's purple. Ladies, you might be wondering, what does purple represent? Does it represent royalty? Pastor Neil, are you going to call us queens? Well, uh, yes, you are all certainly that. No question, all the men would agree. But really, purple has a much deeper meaning. A meaning that only, only a mother of young children can truly understand. You see, purple represents the color of the jelly that you probably still have on your hands from the many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you've been making. Come on now. 
Boy, my jokes are just, they're, they're really struggling today. It's the jelly, ladies, the purple grape jelly. I mean, I, 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 I made peanut butter jelly the other day. I, I tried to make it, and I was, I was wiping the, the peanut butter, and I'm wiping the jelly, and I, I had it all over me. It was like, it was embarrassing. And, and so I, I know what it's like to have that purple jelly all over you. And moms out there, you know what it's like to have your, your kids' food kind of, kind of crusted on you as you try to, to go through life and, 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 and bring a semblance of an outfit together that's actually maybe clean and not have food all over it. Jelly. But in all seriousness, uh, believe it or not, you may not know this, but purple is a young child's favorite color. Studies have shown that both young boys and young girls Given the collective of their answers, if they were to uh, look up at all the colors of the rainbow and, and you were to ask them, which color do you like most? Most children say purple. Purple. It's indicative there of motherhood. It's also indicative, of course, as I said, of royalty, of a place of honor, of that of a queen. But the word that I most wanted to focus on this morning as we look at these purple roses is that your life that your role, moms, it's a noble role. It's a noble role. Purple is the color of nobility. And mothering is an immensely, immensely noble role. Stay there in Titus chapter 2 and, and read what the older women were to admonish you, young moms. Look at verse 4 again. That they admonish, these older women do, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. First and foremost, young moms, on the bottom of your outline on page one, first, your first priority there, to love your husband and children is God's highest calling for you. Let me say that again. To love your husband and your children is God's highest calling for you right now, in this stage of your life. It's God's highest calling. He speaks of, of nothing greater than for a woman to love her husband and to love her children and to devote herself to them. And that's what you mothers do for us. Secondly, and this is on the back of your outline there, and this, is, this will be interesting to see how, how we develop this from verse 5. Your home and your family life, ladies, moms, will largely be a reflection of your character. Let me say that again. Your home and family life will largely be a reflection of your character. Look again at verse 5. Paul tells the older women what to admonish in the younger women. And he says five things. He says, be discreet, be chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be blasphemed. Now there's a number of things that are said there in, in, uh, in Paul's uh, verse to Timothy. But I want to focus on not so much of, of the definitions of what was said as in the ordering of what was said. Because what you see here, what I would argue you see here, what many other scholars have recognized, is you see a, a, a chiasm of sorts. You see an, an arrow of sorts within this verse 5 that highlights 
what Paul is driving at that highlights the, the, the role and the high calling that Paul is pointing these younger women toward. Notice first in verse 5, he says that you be discreet. Second, chaste. Third, homemakers. Fourth, good. And fifth, obedient to your husbands. I've listed there an arrow on your outline, if you can see it. And above that, I mentioned chiasm or chiastic structure. What it is, is in the New Testament, there are numerous instances in which the biblical author will say things in a certain order. And as you look at that order, you begin to find patterns. You begin to realize that the first thing he said and the last thing that he said kind of fit together. And that the second thing he said and the fourth thing he said fit together. And then it's driving at, at some third level, this, this archetype, this, this, this great high calling that, that's led at the end. Notice the similarities here in verse 5. The first thing he says is that you'd be discreet. The last thing he says is that you'd be obedient. Very similar adjectives in Greek. The word discreet there is the Greek word sophron. It means to be sensible, self-controlled, chaste, modest. The last word there, obedient, hupotasso. It means to be subject to, to come under the authority of, which is very similar to being self-controlled, modest, as in the word discreet. So Paul is driving at two words there in Greek that he's lumping together as one. And then look at the second level. He says to be chaste. The word chaste there, hagmas, means pure, holy, innocent. A word that goes right with it, the word good. The fourth thing he mentions. Agathos, meaning useful, fitting, beneficial, kind. And what are all these qualities driving at? This to be a woman of discretion and obedience, to be a woman of chasteness, uh, of, of goodness. It's driving at that middle line there, to be a homemaker. Oikorgos, which is to say devoted to the home. Devoted to the home. Chiastic structure that we see in verse 5, in which Paul is driving at the attribute of being devoted to to your home. In the 21st century, we have uh, numerous environments which require uh, double income. In fact, I really don't know how uh, many families do it anymore on a single income in South Orange County. It's almost not possible to live on a single income in South Orange County. It's, it's becoming more and more difficult in, in this day and age to make ends meet as a family. And so, out of necessity, of course, uh, husbands and wives and others in the family go out to work and bring home enough resources for the, the family to live and, and to, rent, to pay the rent, to put food on the table, to pay for the gas. Of course, uh, there are numerous uh, examples where, uh, in our modern day and age, it's natural for both a husband and a wife or a man and a woman to go and work and to make a living. But Paul here is driving particularly, is mentioning to women in particular, that regardless of whether in a 21st century context she needs to go off and work four or five days a week or maybe part-time, regardless of that fact, Paul says, I still want my, the, ladies of, the ladies of God, I still want the women of the church 
to be devoted to their home. Devoted to their home. That is to say, to put special energies into making your home for your family. Number two on the outline I wrote, your home and your family life will largely be a reflection of your character. Paul is driving at the home. He's saying be devoted to the home. And the way he's driving you there is to be, to be, to be discreet, to be submissive, to be chaste, to be good, and to give an example to your home, to your husband, to your children, to all those who would walk through your doors, that you would be a woman who is devoted as Lois was to Timothy, as Eunice was to her son Timothy, that you be women who were devoted to their home. And you know, it is true, it is so true, that a woman's temperament and character and attributes and qualities are what gives life to a home. The old saying is very, very true. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. It is so true. But when a woman is a woman of great grace, of great discretion, of great example in the qualities that Christ would have her be an example in, that's a home that when you walk in, you sense a difference. You sense a uniqueness. You sense a home that reflects the character of the woman who is devoted to it. Ladies, moms, your home and family life will largely be a reflection of your character. Take note. But you know, it's not easy, moms, to uh, devote your entire life to your home, to your family, to your husband, to your children. At times, you can get exhausted, especially uh, those who have to go off and work and then come home to take care of the, the duties there. But all moms, moms of, uh, of all uh, stripes, have difficulty at times. And that purple can often represent gloom and sadness and frustration. Those purple roses can. It's not easy to be a mom. But stay the course. Stay the course. Because there is a reward for perseverance. I've listed on your outline Proverbs 31. Let's read it quickly. This is describing a great woman. The Pro, uh, in Proverbs 31, we read, Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children, they rise up. They call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. He says, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the, of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Finally, on your outlines, moms, the fruits of your labor will, will be manifest in due time. So remain steadfast. The fruits of your labor will be manifest in due time. So remain steadfast. I can't tell you how many times, uh, both with my own wife and hearing from other moms, you know, a lot of you moms out there are saying, boy, I just, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the fruit of my labor. I don't see, uh, I don't see the growth that's, that's supposed to be happening as a result of all my efforts in my husband, in my children, in my, in my family's life. But you know, the, the Proverbs, the wisdom of the Proverbs says that there's, there's coming a day where your children will rise up and call you blessed, where your husband will rise up and praise you. Men, take note. Take note. A woman needs 
praise. A woman needs recognition and honor. It needs to be noted the things that she has done on your behalf, on your children's behalf. So men, let's rise up and call these women blessed as they are. And finally, we have a final group of women, a very, very special group of women. A a group of women that Christian Livingston used to call uh, sinks and dinks. That is to say, single income, no kids, double income, no kids. Sinks and dinks. This is a very special group of women that includes young adults, 30-somethings, and some generation Xers. Yellow, the yellow in your rose, stands for happiness, for joy, for friendship, for hope, for optimism, for cheerfulness. You women in this group with a yellow rose, you bring tremendous life energy, and enthusiasm to the church. You are a diverse group of women. Some of you are married. Some of you are unmarried. And the scripture has something to say to each one of you. First, I want to speak to the unmarried. You who are unmarried and holding a yellow rose on your outline, to the unmarried woman, know that God has given you, given you, this life stage to especially serve and honor Him. I'll say it again. To the unmarried woman, know that God has given you this life stage to especially serve and honor Him. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 and 34, Paul is speaking to the unmarried man and to the unmarried woman, and this is what he says. He says, The man who's unmarried, verse 32 on your outline, cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. In verse 34, the unmarried woman, she cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be both uh, holy, both in body and in spirit. You know, it is high time. Uh, Tom and I were talking about this uh, recently as we, as we meet on a regular basis. It is high time, Tom said, that singleness be commended by the church. Singleness... A life of celibacy or a a time of celibacy is extremely commended in Scripture. All throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I've I've listed many, many verses there for you to look up at home, those of you who are unmarried, to recognize what an incredible elevation God has of you in His eyes. He elevates you so high and He says of you, what a wonderful opportunity now you have. Being unmarried, you have the privilege, the high calling of pleasing the Lord without care, that is to say, without regard for other earthly responsibilities. Paul says that is a high calling. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, not the things of her husband, not the things of her children, but the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. And so those of you unmarried holding a yellow rose, you bring life and enthusiasm and vivacity to the church by virtue of your life stage. You have additional time on your hands to devote to the work of the Lord. And God has commended you for this life stage. You may have a desire to be married. and God recognizes that desire. And the Bible has said very clearly elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 7, if you desire to be married, the Bible says pay attention to that desire. That's a good desire. But as you remain unmarried, or as you're able to live a life of celibacy, Paul says, I wish that you could do that. 
I wish that you could be as I am, Paul says. Paul was unmarried. Paul lived his life fully devoted to the work of the Lord. And he even said in 1 Corinthians 7, I wish that you could be as I am, unmarried and fully devoted to the work of the Lord. So let us remember that God has given you this life stage to especially serve Him and honor Him. That's your calling. Finally, to the married woman holding a yellow rose. Paul, uh, the, the Bible has some things to say to you as well. In line with the moms that we spoke of earlier, your first and highest calling is to love your husband first. To the married woman, number two, love your husband first. And then, devote yourselves to the work of the Lord. Love your husband first. And then, devote yourselves to the work of the Lord. The pattern of Scripture is clear time and time again. Anytime, anytime, we are freed up from earthly responsibilities. We are to devote the rest of our energies to the work of the Lord. That's why widows and single women are always mentioned in Scripture as serving the Lord, doing a special diligent work for the Lord. Women are especially urged to devote themselves to the work of the Lord if they're a widow, if they're single, but also if they're married and do not have children. Those who are married, they're to devote their, time, their, their love and attention to their husband and then to the church because they have opportunity. They have ample time to do so. Uh, maybe not ample time, but they have additional time that's available to them that God has given them to give to the work of the ministry. The Bible recognizes that when a woman is married and has a husband and kids and multiple responsibilities in the home and perhaps work, the Bible recognizes, and you'll, you'll repeatedly see in the New Testament, there's very little admonitions for a woman who's married, kids, multiple home responsibilities. There's very little admonition for those women to devote themselves to the gospel ministry. Why? Because God has given them their highest calling with their husband and with their children. But to those married women who do not have children, God has a high calling for you. He says, after you've loved and shown honor to your husband, serve the church. Give to the church. Give yourself to the work of the Lord. And we have an example of this in Scripture. There's a woman named Phoebe in Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 16. We'll conclude here in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, we, we end with a woman named Phoebe. Now some say that Phoebe was single. Others say that Phoebe was married. We're not sure. It's not indicated in Scripture whether she was single or whether she was married. One thing was most definitely for sure. This woman did not have young children. Because it, had she had young children, she would have been incapable of doing the work that Paul commends her of doing here in Romans 16. Take a look at Romans 16 verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend to you Phoebe. Whether she's single or married, we do not know. But most likely a woman without kids. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Chechnya. <laughs> I just said Chechnya. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, some crazy guys who did bad things. Tom, help me out with this pronunciation here. Sankria, thank you. Not Chechnya, Russia, thank you. 
that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. First, the first, the first person Paul mentions by name to the church in Rome. The first person he commends by name to the church in Rome. The first individual, man or woman, who Paul says, pay attention to this person, was a woman named Phoebe. Married or, un- or unmarried, we don't know. Certainly no kids. She wouldn't have been able to do what she did. He says, I commend Phoebe, our sister, to you, who is a servant, that is to say, a deaconess, a leader, a servant, a minister of the physical needs of the church. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her. (laughs) Roman church, he's really writing to the elders and the leaders of the church and he's saying, you assist this woman in whatever she has need because she has done incredible things. She's been an incredible helper for many and for myself also. Single women, married women without children, Phoebe, an incredible example of how, of what your high calling is in this life stage. All of you ladies, white roses, purple roses, yellow roses, good moms, and all the rest, which you all are. We honor you today. The Lord has a high calling for every single one of you. Great-grandmothers, grandmothers, moms, married women, single women, young adults. We honor you today. God has a high calling for every single one of you. My encouragement to you today is to remain steadfast in that calling. That's your calling right now. Your calling might change in a few years. In fact, later on when, when the kids are out of the home, your calling will change. Later on, when you have children, your calling will change. Later on, when all of your children are grown and you're an old woman, your calling will change. And be ready for your calling, whatever it might be, in accordance with the Word of God, that you might honor the Lord with your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the patterns that you've laid out in Scripture of the many, many commendable women. Women who, every single one, plays their part in their life stage, young or old, married or single, children or no children, Lord. Every woman you esteem with a high calling. And I pray, God, that each woman here, white roses, purple roses, yellow roses, would recognize their worth, their value, and their role. And that the men of this church would rise up in praise for each woman and for the great example that she gives to us, to our children, and to the whole church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.